light instead to look at it in Scripture, which is always a good thing to remind us that is the Word of God. The blue Bibles in the racks in front of you, you'll find this passage on page 225. Last week, we began our consideration of this book, and we were introduced to Hannah, a barren wife who, in the sadness of her heart, took her pain to the Lord, poured out her soul unto the Lord in prayer, and found comfort in God's provision of a son for her. We looked at it under the idea of unto Hannah, a son has been given. And of course, it was joy for her, and it was, as it turns out, not only joy for her, but hope for Israel and hope for us as well, because as Hannah began to perceive, and as we can perceive even more clearly, looking at this passage at a distance, her story had echoes of the past work and the past promises of God all over it, and it foreshadowed an even greater son to come, an even greater parallel of her experience. As we continue today, as I read the section for us today, I'll pick it up in just a moment in verse 21 of chapter 1. Just remember that in the context of Hannah setting before the Lord her heart and her desire and her barrenness, she had made a vow, she had made a commitment, namely that if the Lord were to give her this child, that she would give the given, give the given child back to the Lord. I'll pick it up then at verse 21, and I'm going to read for us through Hannah's song or Hannah's prayer that goes through uh, chapter 2. This is the very word of God. The man, Elkanah, and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him, so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her along with a three-year-old bull and ephah of flour and a skin of wine, and she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh, and the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli, and she said, O oh my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord. For there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. 
For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren one has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness, for not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces against them. He will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah. And the boy was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, the priest. Stewards of grace. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for our family story. We thank you that we can call it our family story. Because of our fellowship that exists as your children. We pray then that you would help us today to hear well of the good news that is embedded in this text, to praise well you, our great God, ruler of all, and to rejoice in your provision for one person, one family, and for us as well. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to spoil the ending of this sermon. Uh, If not spoil the ending of the sermon, I'm at least going to spoil the end of our passage. Look again with me at the very end of what I just read, in particular verses 8 through 10 of chapter 2, the end there of Hannah's song that is before us. God is up to something. I said this last week. God is up to something, and it is something big, and it is something glorious. It is something that encompasses the entire world and encapsulates history as well. We are talking in this song, this psalm, this hymn. We are talking about pillars of the earth kind of stuff. Verse 8, pillars of the earth. Things are happening to her in particular, and right now in Israel through her family. But she's referencing this to Almighty God who has established the pillars of the earth and who is now working in particular. We take it from the beginning, from foundational stuff, from the pillars supporting the earth itself to the very end in verses 9 through 10. In verses 9 through 10, what we are looking at is the Lord's final judgment. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. How far will the judgment be spread? Around the boundaries of Israel only? No. He will judge to the uttermost ends of the earth. It's God's final judgment in which, beginning of verse 9, he will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked will be broken. 
The wicked ones shall be cut off and be in darkness. The wicked ones shall be shattered, to use a, trans, a different translation of it. How will that take place? How will it take place, this final deliverance and this final judgment? It will take place through, the end of verse 10, through a strong and exalted king. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king. He will exalt the horn of his anointed. This final judgment, this final deliverance will take place through God's king, who is also called God's anointed, which is to say God's Messiah, which is to say God's Christ. How will all of this take place? Through God's Christ. That's where Hannah's song ends. That's how encompassing her song actually is. God is up to something big. And Hannah has a sense of it. A prophetic inkling of what God is up to. She sees something in here, looking at the history of how God has dealt with his people, seeing what has taken place to others, seeing her own circumstances, and through the work of the Spirit of God in her life, begins to have this idea of what God is up to. Seeing the sovereign decrees of God, the ways and the workings of the Lord of hosts in the present and in the future. Hannah is able to say in verse 1 of her song, in verse 1 she's able to celebrate. Why? Because my horn is exalted. Now, if we use this as a, as a metaphor, my horn, Hannah's horn was, if you will, a little horn. It, it, it's, just a, it's just a little thing, a little bit of significance, and she's able to say, my horn is exalted. My life is enriched. The bounty of my life is enriched because God has given me this child whom I'm now giving to the Lord. But she doesn't end with her horn being exalted. She ends with the exaltation of the horn of the anointed of God. That's where it ends. It starts with a celebration of something very small, something very personal. A little baby, a little lad, a little child has been given unto her. And it ends with the exaltation of the horn of the anointed one of God. Hannah has discerned the arc of how God works in this world. She's seen it. How he moves from weakness to strength, from poverty to riches, from insignificance to honor, from distress to joy, from lostness to salvation, from barrenness to children, from humiliation to exaltation. That's the pattern. In the sweep of history, that is the pattern. In the history of how God has dealt with his people, from the patriarchs to Israel itself up to this point, that is the pattern. And Hannah has seen it. She's discerned it. That's the big pattern of God that, it exi that exists, and that pattern exists in the lives of 
small families and even in the lives of individuals as well. Hannah has discerned, and let me put this in language now, bringing it from all the way up to our perspective and from the perspective of the new covenant. Hannah has discerned the shape of the cross. She has seen the idea of a cruciform, a cross-shaped life. I said this last week, Hannah's story is unique. Her son Samuel is unique as Israel's prophetic, priestly, final judge and king and maker. But her life, the pattern of her life, the things that we see in her life reveals to us the ancient path of the faithful people of God. It's a unique story that reveals elements that are common for all of us as well. So let's take a look at this story. The story as it is lived and described for us and the story as she has sung about her own story. In the first place then, Hannah's story is a story of salvation received. Now, salvation is a strong word. Salvation, we might think, that's, that's really a strong word because what you're talking about here is that God gave to her a child, in particular a son. God gave to her this son. Now, how can we equate that with salvation? Well, in the first place, Hannah's speaking very globally, very holistically of the word salvation, and it's not my word. I, I didn't choose to say that Hannah's a recipient of salvation. It's what she says. My mouth derives my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. That's her song. I rejoice in your salvation, your deliverance, your help. Hannah views herself as a recipient of God's salvation, of his mercy, of his tenderness, of his goodness. The course of her life has been reversed. And as she considers this, and as I said, she considers it in light of what she knows of the ways of God, of the decrees of God, and of the workings of God with the people of Israel, she sees. She sees the hand of God. She sees the scope of what salvation actually means. Specifically, God has answered her prayer. He took her sad and distressed and her barren soul and he filled it with the joy of salvation. And so her story is among the stories that go throughout history, stories of the personal experience of the amazing grace of God. That's what Hannah has experienced. I once was barren. Now I'm the mother of at least a child, if not children in the future. I once was lost, but now I am found. I once was vexed, but now I have found joy. I once was brought low, but now I am exalted. Verse 7, she sees the trajectory. The trajectory is this, down and then back up. To put it in the words of Jesus, what she has discerned is the trajectory that sounds like this. The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. The ones who are down here in the gully, those are the ones who will be first. 
They will be the exalted ones. And so, that can be turned, and frankly must be turned, to each and every one of you here today, individually or here as families today. If you are here today, and you're weak, and you're wounded, and you're bereft of hope, if you're overcome by sin, by your own sin, if you're hopeless in heart, if you're sad and soul, in soul, then what you need to behold is the other son. You need to behold the very son of God who was born into this world in a humble estate, who endured humiliation in this world on your behalf and who has now become the exalted king of kings. As such, he stands ready to save the souls of those who will call out to him in their distress, those who will call upon the name of the Lord. Pour out your soul, pour out your heart in prayer to him today. Listen carefully. He is the son given to you. Your children may be great. They may be the best kids in the church, and they won't save you. Samuel won't save you. But there is a son who can save. There is a son who says, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This story helps us to see and anticipate that story. Where's your soul? Take it to that son who's given to you. And Christian, if you're here today, if you're struggling, if you're burdened, if you're wondering, if you're sitting there going, well, pastor, that's all great, but you know, I trust in the son, but I find myself still kind of waiting for the exaltation. You know, if that's the promise, that upward arc that goes this way at some point, where is it? The answer is simple, brothers and sisters. Your story isn't finished yet. It's not finished. The very fact that we're all sitting here together means our story has not come to its conclusion. Now, whether it comes to a conclusion of exaltation in this life or whether it must wait for the next, it will come to the exalted conclusion when you will stand tearless with the white-robed martyrs who, humanly speaking, did not receive exaltation in this life, but now stand in the very presence of God being exalted at the right hand of God and clothed accordingly. They looked low. They looked despised. They looked like nothing. They looked like food for lions. And they now are the exalted ones. To all of us, seek the Lord. Knock and the door will be opened. Follow Hannah. Ask and you will receive. Why? That your joy may be full. Thus promises, thus declares the strong king, the anointed one, the Messiah, 
the Christ. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be made full. Hannah's story is a story of salvation received. And next, as we look at it, it is a story of vows kept. I'm sure you noticed as I read through the passage that there are vows that are being kept and taken throughout this story. Our section begins once again with Elkanah and his household going up to the temple at Shiloh to fulfill the vows that he had taken. And Hannah will wait until Samuel is weaned before fulfilling the vows that she has made before the Lord. And Elkanah encourages her along the way, saying, okay, if you're going to wait, only make sure that the word of the Lord is kept. We're establishing the word. We're establishing the yes be yes and the no be no. We're establishing that those vows are kept here. But to focus on Hannah's vow for just a moment, it is truly remarkable. The one thing that Hannah wanted is the thing that she received, right? That's the one thing she wanted. It's the one thing that she received. God gave, and the vow is to give back what God gave, what she most wanted. Last week, uh, I've already said it, but we titled the sermon, For Unto Hannah a Son is Given. I could have titled the sermon this week, For Unto the Lord a Son is Given, or a Son is Given Back. The given one, given back, which is enough to make one say, what gives? How does this keep going around like this? If Hannah's cruciform life of faithfulness is in the first place marked by this kind of groaning, this vexation, and then by the receiving that she gets, it is in the second place her life marked by giving, or if you will, by giving back. This is a re-gifting. Did you re-gift anything that you got for Christmas this summer? If not, uh, this summer. This, this Christmas? If not, don't say anything. If you did, don't say anything. Probably some, somebody here gave to you. You gave it to somebody else. This instead is a re-gifting. Not because you didn't like the gift, but because you loved it so much. You loved it so much that you wanted to give the joy right back to the one who had given it. And so Hannah gives back and keeps the vow. Hear this in a little bit of a different way. We are stewards of grace that has been given to us. Stewards. We are entrusted by God with grace and with graces that have been lent unto us. That's a phrase from 1 Peter, where Peter talks about us being stewards of the buried grace of God. A steward recognizes that he or she does not own the things that he or she enjoys and works with every single day, but instead works in another's house for another with another's possessions. The verse on the front of your, your bulletins this morning, Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Whose house is it? Whose house are you in? 
when you're on this earth. It is the Lord's house. Hannah's vow is indeed unique and it's particular. By the way, what we did in that dedication today that took place within the context of the baptism, that is not this. It's kind of like this, but it's not that. Or you have to leave all your children here. You have to leave them right. I know, you're shaking your head no. So this is not that. It's unique indeed, but nevertheless, there are principles that are here for every believer. We are all to be dedicated, consecrated unto the Lord. Paul says to us, what do you have that you did not receive? All that you've got, everything that you've got, the child that you're holding in your arms, you received that child as a gift given from the Lord. We are not our own. Fundamentally, we think we're our own. You think you're your own own. But the First Corinthians passage on the front of your bulletin says this, and, and I don't think it can be clearer, you are not your own. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. We belong, we belong to the Lord. We're all, to use Hannah's phrase, lent to the Lord. You may shake your fist at it. You may say, I'm my own man. I'm a self-made man. I'm a self-made woman. I'm my own woman. I'm not anybody else's. The earth is the Lord's. And the fullness of thereof. And all who dwell on it. Our bodies are to be presented as a living sacrifice. Our bodies. A living sacrifice. Unto the Lord. Christ and his example, our spiritual gifts, which is the context of the, the Peter passage, the stewards of the grace of God, our spiritual gifts are just that. They're not things that are given for us to be built up in and of ourselves. The spiritual gifts are given to us to give them back, to give them back to the Lord in service to his church. Our wealth is given to us by God and you walked in today and gave it back to him. David says, offer to the Lord and thus consecrate yourselves unto the Lord. That's what you're doing when you're giving your tithes and your offerings. You're recognizing that it's not your own and you're consecrating yourself right back to the Lord. And when David prays at the dedication of the temple towards the end of his life, he says, Lord, who are we? What are kind of people are we that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort? Because all things belong to you, and of thine own have we given you. We gave you what is already yours. This is God's gracious economy, and within this economy of God, economy, oikonomos, household laws, Within the laws of the house of God, the earth and the people of God, here's the promise that stands related to this kind of reciprocity. And he said to them, this is the king of the household, the, the faithful son in the household, truly I say to you there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children. Hannah, you've given this child back to the Lord. 
But there's no one who's left children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. You cannot outgive God. You give it back, he gives it back. And it keeps going back and forth like that in this gracious economy that God has established. Hannah's life is one of salvation given. It's one of vows kept giving back unto the Lord. And finally, her life is a life of a song sung. It is a life that is to say of worship. Worship begins and ends this section. It's throughout it. It's at the very beginning. They go to the place of Shiloh to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord. It's in the middle. They rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. It's years later, or at least a year later, when Elkanah and his house went up to offer unto the Lord. And it's at the very end of chapter 1, and he worshiped the Lord there. And it's the chapter 2, the song that is sung, a song of worship as well. It's a story of that which takes place in worship. Worship is the framework for Hannah's life and the life of the faithful in all ages. Worship is a song that is sung unto the Lord from the heart. It is a sacrifice of praise. It's corporate. It encompasses the entire earth. An entire earth full of God's people are worshiping the Lord right now. Millions upon millions are worshiping the Lord right now. It's corporate, and it's big, and it's global, and it's about you individually, personally. We talked about it on Christmas Eve with Mary, and the same exact thing takes place right here. My heart exalts in the Lord. One singular heart. It's corporate, and it's personal as well. Worship is the epicenter for the first two points of this sermon. It's here. It's here. In, in the context of worship, it's here that the gift is given by the Lord. It's here that salvation is proclaimed. It's here that the promises of God are spoken about. It's here where the people of God come and sing with one another and are encouraged by the voices, whether they're good voices or bad voices or young voices or old voices that are around them. It's here that we feed upon the promises of God. It's here that we see in baptism the blood of Christ that is given to us. It's here where we receive in worship. And it's here where the gift is returned, where it's given back, where vows are made, where a sacrifice of praise is offered you could be doing something else right now. But you have sacrificed and you've come here. You could be home. You could be chilling out. You could be reading the paper. You could be sitting back on your couch. You have a nice warm cup of coffee. You could be watching the talking heads getting ready for the games this afternoon. You'd have bathrooms close by, working bathrooms close by. You're here. It's a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice of praise that is offered unto the Lord. It is a giving back of ourselves. You walked in here today with money and you put it in a plate as an act of worship unto the Lord. 
to dedicate ourselves unto him at this place. We've received everything. And that's what we come here to worship the Lord who's given to us everything. And we say, take it back. Take back our lives. Take back every part of our lives. This is an extraordinary story. It's a story of barrenness. Blessings. Of a reversal of circumstances of salvation that is given. Of giving back that which is the very most precious thing to us. There's nothing that we love more. There's nothing that we care for more than our children. And it's given back. It's offered back unto the one who gave it. And of course, this story anticipates a more extraordinary story that follows the exact same contours. Giving to us one who would prepare the way for the king of kings and then giving to us the son, the one who is the bringer of true salvation. It's an extraordinary story, but all of the elements of the story are ordinary. All of them are the things, the way, the workings of people who are faithful in their covenant with God. Distressed souls, pouring the soul out before the Lord in prayer, grant, giving offerings unto the Lord, receiving from the Lord, giving lives back to the Lord, worship. That's the ordinary stuff of the people of God, whether you live now or whether you lived 3,000 years ago. The form was different. In essence, those things are the same. You are stewards of those graces. You are stewards of those practices. You are stewards of that grace of God, those promises of God that have now been fulfilled in our Lord Jesus Christ. You are stewards of that grace. You are stewards of this story and the message that it contains, and the hope that it contains, and the joy that it contains. You are stewards of this story for a bleak world. One writer on this passage, David Firth, writes this. We are reminded that the small stories of faithful families and individuals, the small stories that we saw represented before us today, are themselves woven into the greater purposes of God for his people. The astonishing affirmation here is that the kingdom of Israel does not begin with the request for a king. All right, we'll get there. We'll get there in just a, a few chapters, the request for a king. Instead, it begins with Yahweh's response to the cry of a childless woman because Yahweh gives life and Yahweh exalts. Lord, we thank you that you, the God who set the pillars of the earth, the God whose decrees from before all ages began result in us being here today and worshiping you through your son, Jesus Christ. You, the great God of all of the universe, of all that is and all that will ever be, you've become our God. And we rejoice in you, and we thank you. And Lord God, if there are people here today who do not know you as their God, we pray that this would be the day of their salvation, when their soul would cry out to you, 
find comfort in Jesus Christ. I pray these things in your name. Amen.